0: This is the Diaspora Dialogues podcast series. My name is Helen Walsh, and I'm the president of DD. We have a number of programs and events that we produce right across the country, and we record the events in order to share with you the freshest new writers and thinking taking place both in Canada and in the U.S. In this episode, our Talk Toronto Professional Development Series hosted Pitching an Agent or Publisher Session with Leonika Valsius from Transatlantic Literary Agency, Janice Sewepney from HarperCollins, Canada, and Deborah Sunde La Cruz from Penguin Random House Canada, as they share what agents and publishers are looking for from emerging writers. Hi there. Uh, My name is Helen Walsh, and I'm the president of Diaspora Dialogues. A very warm welcome to you all. uh, As we sound test today, this is the first of uh, six events that we have here today, and some of you, I think, are here for this one, and some of you are here for multiple. So welcome. As we start, we'd like to acknowledge the land we are meeting on here today is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. This territory is part of the Dish with One Spoon Treaty, an agreement between the Anishinaabeg, the Haudenosaunee, and allied nations to peaceably share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. This territory is also covered by the Upper Canada Treaties, and it's home to uh, the Diaspora Dialogues, offices nearby. So we're very grateful that, to have the opportunity to meet and work in this territory. We're also very grateful for the three terrific speakers we have here today. Leonika Valsius is an assistant agent at Transatlantic Agency representing commercial and genre fiction for adults and children. As the founder of Hashtag Diverse and a member of the Festival of Literary Diversity, working with writers of color is a key part of Leonica's mandate. Leonika previously worked on the online and digital sales team at Penguin Random House Canada and as the French book buyer for Scholastic Book Fairs Canada. For more of her work, visit www.leonika.com, and uh, that's in the program as well. Janice Zaworbny has worked as an in house editor in the Canadian publishing industry for more than 20 years. She's edited a wide variety of award-winning and critically acclaimed fiction and non-fiction books in Canada, including the current bestseller, *Bush Runner: The Adventures of Pierre Esprit Radisson by Mark Burry, The Break by Katerina Vermette, The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle, who uh, was the DD artistic director once upon a time, uh, Siege 13 by Tomas de Balzi, to name but a few. Currently, she works at HarperCollins Canada, where she's editing a selection of fiction and commercial nonfiction, and she also teaches at Ryerson. Deborah sun Cruz is an associate editor at Penguin Canada. Her interests are diverse and feminist voices, psychological thrillers, and romantic comedies. She oversaw Fiona Barton's national bestseller, The Suspect, and is excited to have acquired Claire Pooley's heartwarming The Authenticity Project, and the highly sought-after thriller Seven Lies by Elizabeth Kay. She's also the Canadian editor of the Booker-nominated Dystopia The Water Cure by Sophie McIntosh and Bestiary by Kay Ming Chang, a bold and innovative debut about a Taiwanese immigrant family. Please give them a warm Welcome. They're going to make some opening comments and then we're going to open it up for Q&A for a really back and forth between them and you. And uh, one of uh, us or one of our volunteers will bring this around. So if you have questions, once they stopped speaking, then just put up your hand. My colleague, Zalika Reed benta will join them on stage and, uh, and we'll take your questions. Thanks so much.
1: Hi, um, as Helen said, I'm an associate editor at Penguin Random House. I've been working for seven years there. Um, I work mostly in fiction, and I'm looking for um, diverse voices, feminist voices. I also work on commercial books, so thrillers and romance. Um, And I thought I would just put together some tips on how to get noticed by a publisher, how to pitch a publisher. Um, So I have some, hope you don't mind that I have some notes that I just threw together. So first of all, to be totally transparent, Penguin Random House, we don't accept unsolicited manuscripts, so... We, I would recommend getting an agent, and you're really lucky because Leonique is here and she'll speak to that. But, um, so that's first and foremost. Go through an agent or get a referral. Secondly, I would I'd really recommend working with other people. So I know writing is a solitary process, but it's just so valuable to workshop your manuscripts before submitting them. So I would say work with diaspora dialogues, work with um, libraries, local libraries, universities, colleges, there's writer-in-residence programs that are just so invaluable. If you prefer something less structured, I would say it's so important just to have a first reader on your work. So just someone who shares your taste in books, just run the manuscript by them, you know, run ideas by them. It's just really important to share your work before submitting it to a publisher. And then at the same time, I realize that a lot of this work is alone, so I do have some tips on things you can do alone when you're working on your work. So. I would say something that's really important is to submit something that is extremely polished. If you're mid-process, if you're unsure about something, I would say it's not the right time. Um, And the reason for this is that you usually, not to scare you, but you usually only get one chance with the publisher, right? So if you submit something to a publisher, it's unlikely we would read it for a second time after you've done more work on it. So I would just say, put your best foot forward. Make sure the material you submit is really strong at the beginning. Don't assume that someone's going to get to page 400. Make sure your first 50 pages are stellar. Don't save your best material for last. And I've had some people ask about getting published elsewhere, and I personally think it's really useful. I don't, I'm sure Janice and leigh will speak to it too, but for a publisher, seeing that a writer has written for, you know, For a short story contest or a journal, we think that, I think that's really valuable. It increases your profile, and it's something you can add to your bio that will um, catch our attention. If you have a big social media following, that's also something you can highlight in your bio. That's something, it's not necessary, but it's also something that we would consider. And don't undervalue the value of networking. I think it's really important to go to book launches, award ceremonies, go to go to the Fold Festival, go to diaspora events, get to know authors, get to know people in publishing in general, and not just editors, but just staff in general, because you'd be surprised at the amount of ideas that come through other departments. We have um, something on the bestseller list that came through one of our sales associates. So it's not necessarily, like, you don't have to talk to an editor. You can talk to anyone in publishing and just run your ideas by them. I think it's Just get to know people in the industry and the last thing i'll say is um get to know the marketplace or have a grasp on what's going on so we often in publishing talk about books in relation to other books and we call those comparative titles so i think it's just it's good to know what's out there get to know the indigo bestseller list or the globe and mail bestseller list and how your book aligns with other books in the marketplace so what's different about it how it's similar How you would pitch your book to an editor or to a stranger. Like what, how how you would compare your book to another author. So you could say something like, My book is a cross between Helen Oyemi or and David Andy." or you know, just learn to talk about your books in relation to other authors, or my thrillers for fans of people who like big little lies. And I think just knowing the marketplace and knowing how to talk about your book is is part of how to get noticed and how to pitch your book to a publisher. I think that's it for me for now. I'm looking forward to your questions, but Lianika, I'm
2: so glad Deborah went first. That means I can build off of her fantastic comments. You may have noticed I was nodding along throughout because I agree wholeheartedly with everything she says. Uh, something that I wanted to touch on is really the importance of knowing your own work, knowing yourself as a writer, and having some sort of vision for the career trajectory you have. Publishing is big. There are so many different types of genres, different types of editors. We are operating in this interesting industry that is a business based on a subjective art form. Not all of the rejections you'll receive, and you will receive many of them, but not all of them have to do with the quality of the work. A great number will have to do with the fit and it's just not what that person was looking for. It's not what they do best and that they don't have a vision for what you're doing. So I always suggest that you start with a lot of research first with an understanding of what your book is. And that relates directly with what Deborah was saying about understanding the marketplace. What is your book within the context of other books? Who are you as a writer what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses right are you the type of writer who is good on social media and is excited about that are you the type of writer who wants to spend all day at word on the street or are you a more private writer who prefers to do blog tours online and not show up in person both of those things are valid but you need to know what type of writer you are, and what type of career trajectory you're looking for. Are you looking to be nominated for The Giller, for example? Are you looking to make it onto bestseller lists for weeks and weeks? Are you hoping to go on a national tour? Having that understanding of what your goals are and what your vision for your career is helps you know who best can help you meet those goals, right? So for example, I am an agent for commercial and genre fiction for children and adults. That means the things I love include science fiction and fantasy, historical fiction, romance of all kinds. I love what we used to call chick So women's fiction, but light and frothy. I love beach reads. Um, I like YA, but I don't like dark thrillers. I don't like horror. I don't like things where there's a murder on the first page, right? So perhaps you've written a beautiful literary novel about a serial killer. I'm not saying it's not wonderful. I will just never read it. And so it it doesn't serve you to send it to me because you will wait the six to eight weeks it takes me to get through my query pile. And then I will send you a rejection letter that says, thank you so much for applying for pitching me, I hope you have every success. Unfortunately, I cannot represent your novel. And that tells you nothing, right? And I'm sorry to do that to you, but I simply don't have time to explain. So now you've received one more rejection and that kind of hurts your feelings and you're not sure why, because it's the same as the other rejection. And you could have spared yourself that by by not pitching me at all, right? Just by knowing that I'm not the right fit for you. Or perhaps you, have the designs to go on a to have a really beautiful printed hardcover novel with deckled edges and foil imprint and you want to stand on a big stage and maybe give keynote addresses and visit schools and then you submit your book to an independent digital publisher who only publishes ebooks Not a wise thing, right? So again, knowing what you're looking for and what the other side does will really help save you time so that your pitches are directed to the people that are in the best position to receive them. Okay, my turn.
3: Hi. So I again, I'm just going to build on all the good points that have already been discussed. I'm Janice Zwerbany, and I'm currently a senior editor at HarperCollins. I have a unique position in this industry because I work for a lot of indies throughout my career and I'm still actually managing a list at um, biblioasis called the Untold Live Series, which is meant for diverse voices, untold stories of Canadian Untold Stories of Canadian history, nonfiction. And at HarperCollins, I do commercial and literary fiction as well as commercial. Non fiction projects for the Collins imprint. So I have my foot in sort of both worlds, like the indies and the multinationals. As has already been said, yes, you need to research. You need to research where you are in the market. You need to research what kind of agent best represents you. And you need to understand, have a good idea about what kind of publisher would publish your book. So there are Multinationals, big big companies like Random Penguin and HarperCollins and those big ones. A lot of big ones don't take unsolicited manuscripts, but a lot of the indie publishers do take unsolicited manuscripts, and you can write to them directly. And you need to figure out if you're going to approach a publisher directly. A, do they take an unsolicited? You can find that out on their website. If they do take an unsolicited, make sure whatever you're submitting is actually what they publish. So don't send your cookbook to a literary publisher. Like, they won't look at it. And again, you'll just get a blanket rejection and you might not know why. And it's probably just something as simple as, we don't do that kind of work, or we don't do this kind of nonfiction or this kind of fiction. So you need to research the publishers. I would also say, look at the submission requirements very closely. And follow those submission requirements. So if it says they only want a query letter or the first 50 pages, don't send 400 pages of a manuscript to them. It's just not fun on the other end to sort of have to receive this stuff and to wade through it. Or we don't have time to send it back to you. You're wasting your own paper and postage and things like that. So just really tailor your submission to the publishing house. They have their rules online and what they're expecting for a reason because they want you to sort of follow those rules. I would say also if a publishing house says they don't take unsolicited manuscripts, don't think that you can circumvent the system by sending an unsolicited manuscript. There are a lot of people who go, well, they're not taking unsolicited, but I'm just going to send mine anyway. Again, you're sort of wasting your your own time, and in that case, you probably won't get a response at all, and you've sort of wasted postage and printing and, and everything else. So there's a process in place for a reason, because there's such a high volume of submissions that come in for agents and for publishers that it's impossible for us to get through them all, and everybody thinks they're the only ones submitting. And even in publishing houses where they're not taking unsolicited unsolicited continue to come in on a weekly basis and they just pile up and pile up and we just don't have the staff to to deal with the, just the sheer volume of material that comes in so that's why these rules are in place to sort of help us but also to help you guys get your work through and so that we can look at it evaluate it quickly see if it's what we want and what we're going to publish and you know and if it is then we'll take you to the next stage and we'll say Hey, we want to see more. Send me the next hundred pages of your manuscript or send me the whole thing. Do your research, follow those rules, make sure that you're submitting to the right kind of your manuscript to the right kind of publishing house. When you are sending a letter, so this is my little area, is make sure your letter is polished and free of grammatical errors. I know that seems like a pretty obvious thing, but I think people rush their letters out sometimes because they get too excited. And your letter doesn't have to be, I, I, would, I tell authors that I advise, no longer than one page. We don't need your life story. We don't need an entire plot summary of your book. For the initial um, query letter, I would say maybe three paragraphs at most. Tell us, open, open up by saying who, who you are, what your name is, and actually the most basic thing, this drives me crazy, because people like miss the most obvious thing in their cover letter. What kind of book have you written? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it commercial? Is it literary? This is like a very seems like it's like the most obvious detail that writers always forget to include. And I'm always like, but what is it? You've given me the title and you've told me all this stuff about, but like what is it? Is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? Is it is it a romance? Is it like commercial fiction? Is it literary? Like I don't know what it is. And I don't want to have to like start reading. I mean sometimes you don't even have anything to start reading. So I can't even evaluate like what you've sent in. So just a really basic thing. Hi, I, this is who I am. I've written a book called this, It is, It is what? It is commercial, it is literary, it's fiction, it's nonfiction. It's genre fiction, so sci-fi, fantasy, romance, thriller. Tell me what it is, so I know. And so right off the bat, just and this is what I've written, this is what it's called. One paragraph summary. It's a book about this. And as was said previously, if you can compare it to something in the market, it's like kind of a combination of this author and this author, or it's like this book, just a broad, I know that's very broad. And, but you know, again, we just, I'm just trying to position that book in my head. Like, what are you sending me? And these little clues help me sort of position your book in my head. Last paragraph Tell me a little bit about your writing experience. And maybe you've never been published before, and that's okay, but there's still things that you can tell me in that paragraph. Hi, I've done, have you done, even if you haven't been published, have you done writing courses? Have you gone to lectures? I've gone to diaspora dialogues. I've done their lunch and learns. I've I've come to their symposy. I've gone to the Humber School for Writers. I've published in my high school newspaper, my university paper. I I want to know that you're a writer, that you're writing, and it, it doesn't matter that you haven't been published yet. I just want to see what you've been doing in the world of writing up until now, and if you have been published, that's great. Then I want to know, maybe you had a short story accepted in a literary journal somewhere, or even your school paper, or whatever. All that stuff is valid, and I want to know about it. So, And if you have been published, even better than, say, I've had a story published here, I've had an article published there, maybe you're a journalist, I write for this local paper. Don't think you have to write for the Globe and Mail for it to be valid. If you're writing for your local, smaller paper or your community paper, maybe you work for a corporation and you're in charge of, uh, you know, some sort of corporate magazine that goes out. All that valid writing experience, and I want to know about it. And so write that in your final paragraph, and then that's it, you know, then sign off politely. I think that's really all you need to say at the initial stage because it's just, we just need sort of to get a quick encapsulation of what you're writing and what you're doing. I agree that you need to send up a polished, um, you know, manuscript as polished as you can make it. And, you know, whether that's writing, writing groups, doing classes. There's lots of classes at at U of T, School of Continuing Education. There's Humber School for Writers. We have sort of an embarrassment of riches in Toronto and and in Ontario, really, for writing communities and writing groups. And you can go there, you can get feedback on, on your work and try to make your work as polished as possible. I also teach editing at Ryerson in the publishing program. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years is and teach substantive and stylistic editing, which is two, two kinds of macro editing, editing that are done on a manuscript. It's not copy editing. It's not proofreading. It's it's about structure and it's about style. And I've noticed over the years that more writers are actually enrolling in the, in my class because they want tips on how to polish their manuscript. But it's also when you take my class, it gives you an insight into an editor's job and an editor's role from acquisition to publication. So it's it's about editing. But they get concrete editing tips that they can then apply to their own work. Now, that said, as an editor, I know as a writer, it's kind of hard to see the forest through the trees with your own writing, right? Because you just, you have no objectivity anymore. And so it is very difficult. So this sort of helps, the class sort of helps give you at least some general ideas of what, what, I do as an editor when I'm looking at a manuscript, and you can apply some of those rules to yourself to, to sort of check your writing. Um, but that's also why, because you can't see the forest trees, you need an outside reader to read your work. And it has to be someone you trust. And if someone doesn't like something, you're just kind of looking for general feedback. Don't internalize it too much. And if you disagree with it, you know, if, if your friend or your mother or your brother read your manuscript, just because they say something's not working, it might not be the case. Maybe they don't read that kind of fiction and stuff. But as a general reader, they can. what you're looking for is what their reading experience of your manuscript is like. And that's often helpful, just to have some outside feedback on your manuscript before you submit it. I had probably about 20 other things to say, but I can't remember what they are right now. So I'll just end with that, and you guys can ask questions.
4: Hi. I have a question about um, pitching
3: a book that,
5: intend to be a series. Um, How do you recommend uh, pitching that book? Because I've heard that a lot of people are, a lot of publishers are pulling away from signing multiple book deals. So do you, do you pitch it as a standalone with potential or do you say like it needs to be three books, four books, whatever?
2: I can start with that one. Um, You need to be honest, right? Like, so if, if you say it can be a standalone, it actually needs to be able to stand alone but it would be better if it can. Does that make sense? So if your book ends in a place where the story is not complete, if there's not another uh, more to it, then obviously you cannot say that it's a standalone. But your chances of success would be better if you wrote the book in such a way that book one can stand by itself. And the reason for that is, if book one doesn't sell your other books are tied to that one and you have less opportunity. There's no way for book two to sell if book one doesn't sell. If book one does sell to a publisher, but doesn't sell well in the marketplace, there is less opportunity for book two and three to be published, right? And so you don't want to end it in such a way where it will feel incomplete without those books. And the fact that it feels incomplete will not encourage the publisher to Publish the next books; they'll just be discouraged from starting the series at all. Does that make sense? Would you folks agree?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think. If, I mean, I think you have to be honest when you submit it that you, you you envision this as a series and that you hope to sort of build it out into a series. Uh, this is the first book; it's the first sort of standalone title, and at that point, the publishers. If the publisher wants it, if it's strong enough, they'll publish it. And then they have to see how it performs in the market. If it doesn't perform, they're not going to invest in book two and book three. They're just not. And they're also not going to give you a three-book deal right out of the gate unless they know that first book works. So Christian kept in with one publishing house. So if it was successful, they'll make you an offer for the second book, maybe even the third book if the first one's successful. But right out of the gate, no one's going to give you a three-book deal.
2: Unless it's fantastic. Unless it's like right? Yeah, yeah. Because there's That's every there's always an exception, yes. right? And you'll be like, I don't understand. I just read in the in Quill Inquire that this person got a three book deal. And it's like, yes, because maybe there was lots of competition and it was absolutely fantastic and they'd written other things or 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 and therefore that person got the deal, right? So I think because it's very much speculation and risk assessment on both your side and the publisher's side, that you put yourself in the best position to be successful and then hope for the moon. Can you talk a little bit about certain terminology um, in terms of pitching some things that I hear a lot, upmarket and women's, and I get the sense that women's isn't quite the same as lit and that it's sort of synonymous with book club fiction, but it seems like people tend to use these things differently. And I feel like that might be where my book is landing, but I don't want to be pitching it to someone and be completely wrong because they're looking for confessions of a shopaholic. And I'm saying, oh, women's fiction, it's a a book primarily about women dealing with women's issues and immigration and blah, blah, blah.
1: That's a really good question. Um, At Penguin Random House, so I I deal with a lot of women's fiction, and we have... So at Penguin Random House, we have literary, so that's more Giller books, and then we have commercial, so that's more Sophie Kinsella, and then we have something in the middle that we call upmarket, so that might be a Celeste uh, Little Fires Everywhere, but women's fiction can be... it It can encapsulate all of it in a way, you know, so I look for women's fiction, I say feminist fiction, and I also look for commercial, so I you know, I'm looking for all of it. And so would you say yours is more sort of in the middle of the two poles
2: or? Yeah, I would say it's more, I mean, I do not want to equate myself with the author of Little Fires, but, you know, it is more in that vein than a Sophie Kinsella by a
6: long shot, yeah. Yeah,
1: so I think upmarket is a great way to describe it. And if you have any authors that you think you're similar to, then throwing those examples in would help an editor to place it as well. So, yeah. Uh,
6: Janice, you mentioned, envelopes and, and um, postage and that kind of thing. And I was wondering in this day of email, how many... And, and if there was a preference in how to receive material. The pub- yeah,
3: the publishers will t- will tell you. I mean, you're absolutely right. In these this day and age, most of it's done electronically. But there are still people who mail-in, full like printed-off manuscripts. And just like as an editor, I mean, I'm mostly, you know, I work online most of the time, but every now and then I still have an, an author who wants me to work on the page, like pencil to page. And it's still sort of happening. And there are some authors who I think are paranoid about their digital files and being pirated or something, and they only want to give you a hard copy because it's like the only hard copy it's very infrequent, but it does happen, and there are still a lot of people who actually physically mail in a manuscript into the company. So that does still happen quite a bit, but you're right, it's a good point. Much less so, but it
7: still happens.
3: Each publisher and agent has, I mean, whatever is when they have their um, submission guidelines online, they'll say, Mail it here or upload your file here, and so they'll they'll tell you how they want to receive it. And I think most of the time, yeah, they don't want to receive the the paper copy anymore these days. There's just nowhere to store it all.
7: Well, uh, good morning, um, uh, Lunica and Janice. I've noticed you're this weekend. You're holding a talk on uh, how not to get published. And I was wondering, uh, maybe could you give us like a sneak preview here? Uh, what, like, and, and I mean, like I know that there are obvious things like like not polish, you know, grammatical errors like that, but I guess I'm more con- concentrating on uh, what are something that's not obvious, something that's very commonly done, but and it's it's counterproductive, but it's it's not obvious that that's the case.
2: Well, the the research thing is the biggest one. So I recently did a webinar on the top five mistakes that writers make in their queries, and I promised that I would upload that to my site so people could purchase that on their own time. Um, and I haven't done that yet, but I will. Uh, and one of them that's not obvious is your book is too long. And I'm I'm sorry, your book is too long. I can tell you right now. Um, Your book is too long. I can tell, like I now have a flag in my inbox that will automatically flag anything that's over 100,000 words. It doesn't it doesn't mean that I won't read it. It means that I will look at it carefully to see if it warrants all those words. And that's not to say it won't be published. There are lots of books that are published that are also too long, okay? Let's be honest. They stopped editing J.K. Rowling after a while and just said, girl, do whatever you want, girl. Yes, yes, you know what? We'll kill another 500 trees for you. Do it. So your book is too long if you're telling me that it is the multi-generational saga of five generations of people and it goes on and on, right? There's no plot. So I can already tell that you're just going to tell me about the grandmother and then, daughter, and then her daughter and then her daughter and then her daughter after that. It's too long. Your book is too long if it starts with a ragtab group who goes on adventures because they're just going to go on one adventure after another and there's no, there's no inciting incident and there's really nothing that they're working towards. So it's too long. Your book is too long if you have five different points of view in your sci-fi. That's tricky because sci-fi, for example, is already uh, long by nature. But then if you're presenting five different points of view that never overlap, you have to build out those worlds and you have to build out those characters for it to be effective. So it's too long. So it's too long. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so usually my feedback, I, and again, I try to do my best, but what I do is unknow the conventions within your genre, right? So uh, romance right now sits between seventy-five to 85,000 words. Anything above that might work in trade romance, but then it's too long. Sci-fi fantasy, you can get away between 100,000 and 120,000, but- if you're pushing up about that, it's probably too long. And especially in historical fiction also can get creep up too long because you've done so much research, you know? You worked really hard to get the details right on all the archival footage you read, but I actually don't care. So your book is too long. And the best way to tighten it up is, I think, in writing your synopsis. When you're writing your synopsis, you need to go through and say, what is propelling the action forward? What is developing towards plot and what is developing towards the character? If there are scenes and actions and characters that do not contribute to the plot or to the character, they probably don't need to be there. So write out your synopsis and then look at where you can be trimming fat.
3: Personally, I would say a thing not to do don't expect that I'm going to give you very specific editorial feedback when I reject your manuscript. Leonica has already talked about that. Like, It's either what I'm looking for or not what I'm looking for or the quality of the writing there or it's not there. I don't have time to give you an editorial summary of everything that's wrong with your manuscript. It's not my job. That's why you're going to go out to do classes and you're going to workshop your work. I can't do that. And I would say if I have turned down your manuscript, like don't stalk me publicly and, and and come. I've had authors do this. They come to events that I do. They want it, they're like, remember, you rejected my manuscript. I just want to talk to you about it a little bit more. It's like, I don't want to do that. That makes me feel like you're mentally unstable. And it frightens me. Well,
7: if he's a good writer, he probably is.
3: Yeah. Well, it happens more than you think. I mean, I've had authors who I've rejected who figured out what my personal email is, and I've received emails in the middle of the night. I've had an author show up at events with his own design of his, book jacket on his t-shirt and keep coming to, like, I, I think they sometimes think that I'm going to change my mind, or if they become friends with me, I'll just understand their book a little bit more. I know this a lot sounds like sort of mental illness, and some of it is, but some of it's just authors who are really driven, and they're channeling their energy in in the wrong way into uh they're sort of hyper-focused on me just because I my name was on the bottom of the rejection sheet. So that kind of inappropriate behavior, I'm not crazy about. But I will keep encouraging you guys to go to events, go to the International Festival of Authors, and read and read and read, because I'm always surprised at how many people want to be writers and how few books they actually buy or how few of them actually show up to Events that happen in in the city. So anyway, but back to me. Just don't don't be rude or hostile towards me if I turn down your manuscript.
4: Linked to the earlier question, but of the reverse, my current story does not fit. It's too long for a short story, and it's too short for novel-length manuscript. Also, it's not literary, and so I've been you know trying to search out options to publish and don't really know where to turn. So I'd welcome advice um, in that instance and then link to that. Is there a roster of say editors out there that I could reach out to for support because I've done the, you know, asking friends for feedback. They can only give me so much. I feel like a course would not necessarily be the right place to get detailed feedback on a, on, on, what I've written, and I'm kind of struggling to, like, I know it needs work, but, you know, where do I go to to get that kind of support? Thank you.
1: Um, Have you looked at the Toronto Public Library? Because I know... um, Oh, sorry. Yeah, just the public library. Because I know a lot of authors... Libraries often have authors in residence, and you can apply to work with them through the program. So... It should be a pretty accessible program. I know a lot of amazing authors have done that, and I think that's a good good way where you don't have to commit to a full class, but you can work with a published author, and that author has connections to publishing houses. I think that could be an option. I mean, it actually harkens back to understanding the market
3: that's out there. You want to have this thing published, right? So it's not quite a short story. It's not a novel. Maybe it's a novella. People don't publish novellas because nobody buys them. Nobody buys short story collections either. As much as I mean, I love short stories, and I ran the short story imprint at um, House of Nancy, and that was really great. I personally love short stories. I can tell you why I think short stories are great. Everybody should read them. You can read them on the subway. If you don't like one, you might like another. I mean, short stories are great, but the fact is, is people don't buy them. You need to figure out what you want to do with what you've written. It's also not literary, it's not commercial, or it is commercial, maybe. So there's not really a market for that kind of book, right? I mean, market, but like there are literary journals that might pick it up. Maybe if you worked with an editor, they can help you find areas where you could possibly expand it into a novel, or you could shorten it into a short story, And I I do think you're right. Maybe you sound like you're at that point where you need that outside reader to come in and see what you have because you can't quite see it anymore. And you can hire private editors. There are a lot of freelance editors who take on private clients. Agents also, when I'm freelancing and I'm not in house, agents often send me writers that they think have potential, but their work needs a little bit more polish. And I work with them to. Fix it. But I think, as Deborah said, like you you need to I mean that, but that costs money, right to to do that. And it comes out of your own pocket to do that. And so you could hire them. I mean, you look online under freelance editors, look at the Editors Association of Canada. You look for someone who does fiction and who can come in and you negotiate a price and they can help you. but, you know, I'm not big on, like, having to pay people to do things. So I do think if there's a free resource like the public library and there's a writer in residence or universities often have writers in residence. So if you're an alumni, you might be able to go in and take advantage of a, a writer that they have in residence to look at your work and to, to help you figure out what the next stage is, like either expansion or contraction with it. Because you're right, you're sort of in this in-between nether world right now with it. And you just probably can't see it anymore because you've been working so closely on it. And you just, yeah, it's, yeah, you get to that stage.
2: I just want to comment and use this as a little bit of an example. You are great. But this is a really good, this question is a really good example of how not to talk about your book or your work. Uh, You told us everything it wasn't, but you didn't tell us what it is. So we weren't able to really help you. You told us that it's too long to be a short story and too short to be a novel, but you didn't tell us how long it actually is. You told us that it's not literary and not commercial, but you didn't tell us what genre you think it is or what it is about. So for example, if you had said it's actually fantasy, there are lots of fantasy magazines that take a work of various lengths. There are actually, uh, there's a, a pretty growing a group of fantasy publishers that do publish shorter fiction like it like you can just it's in it's in paperback and it's pretty easy to purchase like they'll publish novellas right but because we don't know a lot about your work it's harder to tell you what your next steps could be and harder for you to figure out what resources would best be available so i would suggest that when you go home you kind of Rather than saying, oh, it's not fitting into these labels, maybe look at what it does fit in. It's, let's say it's 10,000 words or it's 30,000 words, and it's about X, Y, Z, and it's similar to X, Y, Z author's work. And that will give you a better understanding of what direction you can go in.
5: Hi. I've, uh, I self-published a book. Think of it as Alias Grace Meets Anne of Green Gables. It's been successful. I've won awards and been nominated for awards. And I've sold reasonably well. I see it as the beginning of a series. I've been told that publishers do not buy series when there's already been a book published. But given that it was self-published, I don't understand why a publisher wouldn't pick it up since it's been successful and republish it along with the next one in the series. So I'm interested in that. I've been told, I understand that's the rule, but I don't understand why it's the rule.
3: I would start by saying if your book's already been self-published and people have already bought it, what's the incentive for a publisher to buy that book again and put it out? It's already... Because the
5: self-published author can never sell as much as HarperCollins.
3: Right. That's how, The I mean, it's, again, it's there's always exceptions to the rule. There, I mean, I've been in-house where we bought something that was self-published, that had a very small audience. We re-edited the book. We re-launched it and marketed it. Very, very rare, again, but it's not impossible to, to happen. But, you know, highly unlikely. But you're better at this question than me.
2: <laughs> so this is a business question, right? Your question is, I published a book already. It's successful in my estimation. Why doesn't this other business want to publish the book that I already published, right? But the, and pick up the series. And pick up the series. But their question is, if you think it's successful, then why don't you keep doing it? And- A
5: lot of work. A and lot it, of I, work. I want to so now, writing. I don't want to so, do those other things.
2: Right. So their thing is, what is in it for them? right? Because then they'll have to do all that work and they'll have to invest their time, their resources, their energy, their money. And I mean, I don't doubt that your book is successful, but the awards, that's success for you. It's not success for them. Their estimation of success is really about how many books it sells. So unless it's a big exception, the biggest way to convince a publisher to pick up book is if it's a runaway bestseller like like it can't like you can't print enough and oh my goodness people are lining up for it and there's like a frenzy then they'll be like oh then I can cash in right if there's no reason for them to cash in and if it's already out that means there's already a public depending on the how wide the size is right how big the audience who's already read it there's all you've already had a direction on it they would have to see, well, now I have to start from scratch by telling people that it's no longer that thing, that this is a new thing. They might as well start fresh with something that's untested and that they can put their own stamp on, right? So you have to... So in order to convince a publisher to take on a self-published project, you either have to convince them that there is a lot of money in it for them, or what's the or? Like, I think it's you have to convince them that there's a lot of money in it for them.
3: Yeah, they would look at how many copies use because what, I don't, I mean, I don't know, I don't want you to tell us here publicly, but I mean, it would, yeah, I mean, if you sold 100,000 copies of it. In, like, a very fast thing, and, like, it was getting all sorts of buzz, right? Yeah, like, then they might go, hey, okay, we'll publish your second one, and we'll buy the rights to the first one, and we'll reissue it later. They, they might jump on board and do something like that. But, yeah, it's the same sort of answer before about shying away from series and, this is uh, even more difficult because it's already been out there and they're just going to be like, but it's, it's out there. It's, it's successful. And why not keep publishing, self-publishing? If you have, you already have an audience that really liked the first book and I'm sure they're waiting now for the second book. You don't need a publisher then is kind of what they're thinking. I know it's just, it's really just about, about business. I mean, you've, you can't sort of cannibalize your own audience here. I mean, you're sort of, you want to do that, but you can't, Obviously, that's already bought it and wants to read it has done that. So I don't know if that helped.
5: Yeah, it does help. I guess it's just that, I just think there's a lot more potential.
2: Here's what I think. I think you're not the first to ask this question and I think it's useful. Uh, Some writers, I think they go into self-publishing, not necessarily saying this is the best path for me, but thinking, If I show that there is an audience for this, then afterwards people will take it on, right? And that's not necessarily the case because the audience that what a publisher considers success in a large audience and what you as an individual may consider success in a large audience varies significantly. And in terms of what they need in order to make profits – What has been successful for you may be a drop in the bucket for them. And it's not to their benefit to invest more of their money and their labor to make you more successful if they're not proven that it can also bring a return on their investment. And I think that's what makes it difficult. But that doesn't take away from the fact that your book is great and successful and is doing well. Hi, ladies. Thank you for hosting today. So helpful. I have a question about agents. So I just finished a YA novel.
8: Super excited about it. I've been looking at agent lists and seeing who's accepting. And I was wondering if it's, is it wrong when you see a company and
0: there's multiple agents that are all looking for YA, they're all open. Would that
2: be wrong to pitch to all all of them? Or is it just you should pitch to just one? I'm going to give you two answers. So the first answer is it depends like on what their rules are. Some, some agencies say you pitch to one of us and we will share it internally. And if we say no, that's a no for the agency. Don't try to pitch somebody else. There are others. I think my agency, the rule is you can pitch to multiple of us, but just let us know so that we know my colleague has it. So we aren't both fighting over you um, without knowing. So that's some rule. And then others are like, yeah, sure, whatever. Send it to all of us. So that's one. The second answer is if you feel like if you are in the position where you're sending to multiple agents within the same agency, I feel like you haven't done enough research. Because your list, I know it feels like a numbers game and I know you want to send it to as many agents as possible and just see who bites, right? But it is... Better for you in the long run to do that research to see who might actually be the best fit for your work so that you're not inundated with those rejections that may not have anything to do with quality. It's not helpful for you to send to an agent who does YA but only, I don't know, who only does YA sci-fi, and you're doing something else, right? Like it's not. So it's really important for you to be that. Like start reading the interviews, right? Like start uh, going to like if they've done panels about their work, if they've gone had their manuscript wish list. Like really try to hone down to who the best person is, because otherwise, like they'll know. They're like, oh, she's sending a blanket email. I've we've received, like things where it's like. They meant to be CC people, but they didn't. So we see the 200 other agents they sent this to. So it's like, bruh, I don't even feel special anymore. Like you didn't think that I was the best one for you. So I don't think you're the best one for me. Auto reject, right? So I think do the research to get it down to as close as possible. And then if it happens that they read it and they think you're great, but they think their colleague might be better for you, they will pass it on. Like. Uh, agencies and I think editors too. will, if they think the work is excellent, even if it's not for them, they will pass it on to they, somebody they think will love it.
3: I, I, that, that reminded me of another point about research. Read the acknowledgments in your favorite books. That's going to tell you who the agent is, often who their editor was. That's going to give you a sense of like who's working in this area that you're comparing your book to, or you know who's doing what in, in sort of publishing. And, you know, that's a really valuable resource. You, you, have, you see who's involved in each project if you read the acknowledgements.
6: My name is Jo, and uh, I am a published writer uh, from France, France. I've just arrived two months ago to Canada to start writing in English, so this is why I picked uh, Toronto. And, yeah, I'm going to ask the dumb questions people do not dare to ask so don't thank me. Um, yeah, in France, in France, yeah, I cannot pronounce France correctly. In France, you can only have an agent if you have a bestseller, and um, or if it's a translation, which means it's, it was a bestseller in your country. In France, you're, being self-published is really frowned open, and I don't know how it's here. So now my questions are, my, on my vision board, I'm looking for that agent every morning, sending my message to the universe. I want that uh, love at first sight with my agent, and I'm not in a hurry because I'm here for the long term. And where do you find agents? Can anybody contact any publisher? Because I did not even know that in Canada you could contact publishers un- until now. And can... Only
3: indie in publishers. The big oh, okay. publishers know.
6: And uh, why are people self-published in Canada?
2: So, so your questions are, where do you find agents? Why are people self-published? And what was the second one?
6: Can anybody send a... That's huge.
2: Everyone can send their books to
3: everywhere. So a lot of this involves a lot of, again, research online, right? So publishers online, there'll be a section about submissions, whether they accept them or not. So you have to look online and it'll tell you Most big publishers, no, they won't take your manuscript, they want something to come through an agent. Smaller indie presses still do take unsolicited manuscripts. Does not mean that they are going to look at them in a timely fashion. You can wait six months to a year before you will get a response, because again, there's just the sheer volume. But indie presses, can do that. I, I think it's incumbent on indie presses in this country to, to still take unsolicited because they get money from the government and they should be nurturing uh, homegrown talent. And I think the same goes for finding an agent. Agents are all available online. You're in Canada now, so you can Google Canadian agents and Canadian literary agencies and see... All that there's lots of different agencies out there and you can see who's out there and then they have their active roster of agents there. Sometimes they even have what the agents, what authors the agents represent on there. And now over to you for the rest of
2: the agent talk. Um, yeah, that's great. Like Google is your best friend. You can find all the information online. A good agent will have a very clear way to contact them of how they want to receive submissions. So it's about Googling what you're looking for, right? So if you're, let's say, what do you write? Uh, I use fiction and
6: comedy.
2: Okay, so I'm going to say you write satirical uh, fiction. Um, you write satirical fiction. So look for people who are looking for satire, comedy, things like that. You can look for Canadian literary agents if that's what you're looking for. If you want to open yourself to, to US literary agents, you can do that. A tool that I really enjoy is Query Tracker. I don't, I believe it's a dot com, but Query Tracker is like basically a database of like thousands, literally thousands of literary agents. And it tells you when they're open, when they're closed, what kind of submissions they're looking for, what genres and people comment on there about how quickly they reply, about whether they were rude in their reply, whether they gave a form letter or a personalized letter. Like it's a great way to start to start your research, not to complete your research because always go back to their website to get the most up-to-date information. But it's a great starting point.
1: Maybe sign up to the Quill Inquirer too. If yeah. Quill Inquirer
2: newsletter is that's something I look at
1: every week. I just look at the headlines to see what deals are going through, what kinds of agents, editors are in the news. That could be a useful tool to get acquainted with the Canadian market. So, Quill Inquire.
2: Quill Inquire. It yeah. is spelled Q U I L L and choir, Quire Q U I R E.
1: You might want to check out Arsenal Press too, just to see the types of uh, who's connected to Arsenal, because I think they do amazing work, um, very uh, radical and y- political. Yes, Arsenal's great, and Brian Lamb, who's the publisher, seems amazing. So I would look into Arsenal and their authors and what agents are connected to them. Might be a hint. Thank you.
7: So um, if a book, so I have a memoir I wrote. My life story. I figured I'm getting old. Might as well commit it all to paper. But it covers so many different areas. And I, I'll, I'll look on these uh, websites that say, uh, you know, oh, I'm looking for you know, YA. I'm looking for memoir, nonfiction. No cookbooks. None of this. No picture books. And then I see like, well, my memoir, it's There's a very there's a spiritual component. There's the, the gay component. There's uh, family issue component. So I, I put that in the query letter. I say, you know, hey, I see you're looking for X, Y, and Z. My book has X, Y, has a little bit of this too that you're, you've never really, you don't, you might have some interest in, I don't know. Is that, does that make it more attractive when you can kind of, you have a book that can potentially fill different, you know, it's, it's, a, it's life. I mean, it's, a, it's a story of, of a person. So what do you, how do, you know, we all have these encounters in our lives. Uh, And it's just how we deal with things. So is that good to do? Or do I just say it's a strict memoir? And I don't know.
3: Is it a memoir or is it an autobiography? Because you're making it sound like it's an autobiography. And there's a difference.
7: Okay. So I would... To me, a memoir is what shaped me to get to where I am today. Or is that...
3: I mean, if, if you're starting this book off sort of as when you're a child and ends with like where you are now it's beginning to sound a little bit more like an autobiography memoirs deal with a very specific time frame something that happened in 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 a sort of controlled time frame it it doesn't span someone's life um i mean but again like the focus what Leonika says you need to kind of really focus in on what the message is you can't just say again this is a book that I wrote about everything that I've learned in life or everything that I've experienced, it still sounds, you need to sort of hone the message of of your book a little bit more. And I'm not entirely sure that it's, it's a true memoir. Memoirs are also difficult things to get published for a number of, unless you have like a really unique story or something really unique has happened to you that you're commenting on, or you have very specific, I don't know, unique insights into something. Publishers mostly do memoirs. Again, if they have something unique in them. Like, for example, a firefighter. I did, I did a book that won a whole bunch of awards like 10 years ago, and this was like a firefighter. A guy who was a writer, but he was a part-time firefighter. And he just talks about this 10-year period where he was a firefighter and and you know that he had post-traumatic stress and how firefighters aren't really heroes. They're actually all scared to death sometimes of what they do. And um, so that was like an interesting little memoir of this guy's life during this little 10-year period of time. And so he had something interesting to say. We hadn't sort of heard from a Canadian firefighter before writing about this perspective and hearing what goes on in a firefighter's head, blah, blah, blah. If they don't know who you are, um, most memoirs, like they'll just be like, what, why do I have to, who are you? Why do I have to read about your life? Uh, like there's a lot of people out there who write memoirs. There are a lot of people who write memoirs that I encourage and say, this is a lovely legacy project for your family. But what's the appeal to a broader audience? You have to tell an agent or a publisher why you think the world needs to read your book or what you think is compelling about your story that's going to make people want to spend $25 to to read it. And there might be something there. I I just don't know enough about your book right now. So, So there's obviously an LGBTQ sort of aspect to it. And maybe there's something there that readers can learn from. Memoirs as well, sometimes it's about the writer, again, having some sort of realization in in their life, imparting knowledge to the reader. But there still has to be a compelling story there. And for the most part, for for personal memoirs, it's like, who are you? Why should I read your book? All right. And so that's really the answer you're going to have to sort of distill down and in any query letters you send, you're going to have to sort of tell us why, why, why should we care? Why should we care about your story? Who who are you? We don't know. So that's what you're going to have to sort of really hone, hone that message of, of your book. And so in terms of like if an agent or someone says, you know, I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, again, focus on what your message is. You know, you, you've probably targeted an agent. Who, want, who likes books that have to do with this or that, and that's great, and you can maybe touch on that. But when you say, it's got a little bit of this, it's got a little bit of that, it looks, again, like your manuscript is wild and unwieldy and unfocused. And so, again, it's about focusing your message and your story, focusing your pitch to agents and editors. Often we talk about the elevator pitch. If you can't tell me in one or two sentences what your book is about then you don't know what your book is about. And you need to be able to, like, really hone in on that and, and focus your message so people understand what, what it is. Does that help? I don't know if that helps.
8: Yeah? Okay. Um, this is one question with kind of a few different parts to it. So my last name is 15 letters long. I have two questions. So the first one is, what are your thoughts on using pseudonyms, particularly male ones, and, or changing your name Generally, and then also, if you want to use a male pseudonym, should you put that out in the initial query letter that you send out? I'm just wondering what you're like. If the, it, if it makes a difference in any way, does it change? Or... There
3: are there there was like a a thing that went out a couple years ago where a writer went and submitted a manuscript, a female writer under her own name, and then submitted it under a male name, and she got, I think, seventeen people writing back to her under the male name saying, I want to see it and only two responses when she wrote it under a female right. name.
8: So that's what my question is.
3: You know, if you're just looking for someone to try to, I, I mean, if you want to do that for your own personal experiment, so, that's fine, so I guess.
8: For two, but. So, I, so I write two different kinds of things. One of the things that I write would be on, like, the genre of Game of Thrones fantasy and the voice is very masculine and a lot of people wouldn't think a woman wrote that. And the audience would cater to would also be, you know, young boys, young men. So, in They're gonna know sense. who you
3: are eventually, though, right? Because you're right. gonna be doing promotion and publicity for the book. So but at does some it matter, point,
8: or?
3: does it matter? Well, I mean, some there are, people are gonna know who you are. So if you like, if you if you think you're just gonna be cloaked, your gender's gonna be cloaked for the rest of your life. It's, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, so if JK you're just doing rolling, it to try to get else. the yeah. interest of a publisher, I mean, I mean, you you can do it. It's not gonna make a publisher say, I don't wanna. Publish your book, and if you want to change your name, that's up up to you. Really, it's. I mean, I don't think I don't have an opinion on whether someone wants to use their real name or not. It doesn't matter to me one way or another. I don't know if it matters so to I'm also you. I'm like an
8: actor, and I remember when I started acting. Yeah. one of the things that happened like 20 years ago was my last name being so long. They told me to Anglo-Sax and make it short. All these things, and that was requested of me before I signed my agent. I mean, at the time, I was very adamant about it, but as I'm, like, learning more about the business of writing, acting, all these things, I'm wondering if any of that. No,
3: is... that, I, that's, I've never had that happen in publishing where a publisher or an editor has said, you need to change your name. You know, my name's not, I mean, my name, last name's not 15 letters long, but it's it comp, its its difficult for some people because there's a lot of consonants at the end. And I know when my mother makes, you know, reservations at a restaurant, she calls us Sawyer because uh, she doesn't want to deal with our last name and the spelling. Um, so there always is that bias against, like, names, that foreign names, names that seem unusual to people. That doesn't happen in publishing. Like, if I acquired your book, I wouldn't say, uh, you're going to have to change your name. Sorry. We can't fit 15 letters on the cover. Uh, it's actually incumbent on the public to like learn how to pronounce your name and learn how to spell your name. Um so that's completely i would say up up to you. A publisher would never say that or request that or require that and if they did, i would say don't publish with them.
0: We hope you enjoyed this program. Please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast provider. If you're an emerging writer interested in receiving our open calls for submissions or invites to our events, Please join our DD newsletter by emailing us at info at diasporadialogues.com with subscribe in the subject line. Thanks so much for listening.